Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville. Local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering gourmet pizzas, hot submarine sandwiches, and salads with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com. 332-4495 for delivery. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about obesity. We have two guests with us today. Uh, Our guest in the studio is Indiana University professor in applied health science, Alice Lindemann. She's also a dietitian. And uh, with us, uh, joining us by phone from Indianapolis is State Health Commissioner Dr. Judy Monroe. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can join the discussion on our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can follow along on Twitter also at noon edition. So thank you. Welcome to the program, Alice. Oh, thank Good you. to have you here. And Dr. Monroe, thanks for being here. Great to be here. All right. And uh, we ha- want to welcome um, Mother Bears, our, our new our new. Uh, Production yeah, production support. That's yeah, that's great. Like that. know, Thank you. Thank you, Mother Bears. Now we have to talk about obesity. So yes, there's do. a segue from yes. Mother Bears to obesity. Yes. All things in moderation. That's right. Walk e- to the place. Exactly. There you I, go. I want to ask uh, Dr. Monroe to to start. I know that there have been several <clears throat> s- several surveys and studies out. Um, that it seems like whenever there's a a listing of states in Indiana or states in the in the country that Indiana is among the most obese. Um, could you talk about strategies that we have to maybe try to get our ranking a little better? Yeah, the, our state ranking's been a concern for for some time, and the you know the percentage of overweight and obese Hoosiers, both children and adults, uh, is a real concern for ours of us and. So actually, we have we have kind of a two-pronged approach here at the state. Um, folks have probably heard of In Shape Indiana, uh, which is uh, governor's initiative to impact uh, individual and collective behavior change. And then we have something called the Indiana Healthy Weight Initiative, which is being developed to impact broad and long-term policy and environmental change. Uh, so we're kind of coming at it from both uh, both of those directions right now. Could you uh, describe a little bit more about InShape Indiana for those who may not be familiar with it? Yeah, InShape Indiana was uh, started in July of 2005. Uh, we have 83,000 Hoosiers that we that have signed up. You can sign up for free on the on the InShape Indiana website, and um, uh, we've got Hoosiers from all 92 counties that we communicate with on a regular basis through email, and then we also are using Facebook and Twitter, uh, some of those social networking applications. Uh, we one of the things InShape does is every quarter. We uh, have a challenge for folks. Uh, one of the challenges we have in January is the 10 in 10 challenge, where we uh, have folks sign up and, and follow along and try to lose one pound a week over a 10-week period to kind of get that uh, holiday weight off, if you will. Um, and then our a new program right now is called In Shape 150, uh, which is an eight-week program encouraging Hoosiers to exercise at least 150 minutes in a week, and we give all kinds of ideas of how you break it down into short 10-minute segments throughout your day to, to get to your 150 minutes. Um, so we've got lots of things like that going on. Um, and one thing that we're really excited about with InShape Indiana is actually um, uh, for there's a partnership between InShape and Red Gold Tomatoes uh, where we're launching at the uh, State Fair this year uh, Passport to Health uh, because it's the year of the tomato. So this nice partnership with Red Gold Tomatoes uh, – is going to be a lot of fun, and there's going to be some uh, prizes. People can uh, come on come on to our website for InShape Indiana and, and uh, enter to win prizes and so forth. So it'll be a lot of fun. That's a neat thing. Uh, Red Gold is an Indiana uh, company, Orestes Indiana, so that's a neat thing that they're partnering with you yeah, on that. We're very excited about this. 
You know, Governor Daniels seems to have taken a greater interest in the the health of Hoosiers from a fitness standpoint than any governor that I recall uh, prior to him. What is what's his motivation behind uh, leading this charge? Well, you know, when I actually interviewed with the governor uh, before I even became the state health commissioner, um, I was really taken by his passion for trying to improve the health of Hoosiers. Um, so, and he comes at it from two directions. He he certainly believes in in good health, and he practices it himself. Uh, but he also understands the economic impact. Um, you know, healthcare costs are high. Um, we folks, we have to decrease the burden of chronic disease in our state if we're going to control healthcare costs, and and that starts with each individual and each family uh, doing what they can to improve their own health. Okay. All right. We're talking about obesity today. That's Dr. Judy Monroe, the state health commissioner, also with us, Indiana University professor in applied health science, Alice Lindeman. Alice, I want to ask you about um, obesity in general. Why is it such a bad thing? Let's just sort of get to the basics. Why should people care how much they weigh? Probably be I would say it's twofold. One is the immediacy and the other is the long term. One of the biggest problems about obesity is you don't feel its effects until it's kind of like hypertension. Once the damage is done, then you start seeing, oh, that's what I did. That's what's happening to me later. Now I understand why my knees are so sore Mm -hmm. and they aren't going to get any better and the damage is kind of done. I'm not going to go back to where I was, but I'm not going to get any, it's not going to be that much better. I'll, I'll lose the weight. I won't, it won't be, the knees won't be the greatest, but they won't get any worse. As long as I lose the weight, they'll be better, but they won't be the best in the world. Um, so the – and then the immediacy is the – it's not just the health. It's also the mental health and the emotional health and the deep personal part of obesity. You know, we do have to attack it as groups, but we also have to attack it individually. One of the biggest problems with obesity is it is one of the last prejudices that we can all retain. Um Every one of us has a degree of, I'm not sure if I care for that concept or I don't like that part of that person or I'm not so sure I want to be near or I don't want to associate or I don't like the way that person looks and using the concept of that person. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I, I have a... Very sad story that's a, a good illustration of that. A friend of mine who was, I'm sure, would have been classified as uh, morbidly obese, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know the exact percentage that you have to be over ideal weight for that, but um, she was ill, knew she was ill, but because of the um, treatment she had received from physicians in the past, chose not to pursue treatment, and um, when she finally became so ill that um, her sister took her to the hospital. She was terminal with cancer. Yeah. Um, because the embarrassment and the um, prejudice that she felt from everybody in the healthcare system was more than she could bear. So I think that's kind of one of those situations you don't necessarily imagine uh, that spinoff of from obesity. Well, a lot of times, as a healthcare professional, you you do feel I've heard it all before. I'm going to hear it again. I'm going to hear the excuses again. Um, and you kind of kind of can come in with an idea of what am I going to hear this time instead of who is this person and how can we get to what the bottom of how I can help with how I can help this person help him or herself. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have a long history of working with the morbidly obese since basically 1967 or 1976. And um, my greatest joy of working with this group of people is the time in which I would work with them. I would say, look, I'm working with you now in which you're going to have surgical intervention. Be as honest with me as you possibly can. Talk to me about your diet. Talk to me about your behaviors because all I can do is help you after the surgery. If you need help in a certain area, then I can help you with it. But if you aren't honest with me about it, if you tell me that you eat breakfast, but in reality you don't, then I can't help you. Mm-hmm. And so they're more honest when they know they're transitioning, when people are transitioning to a new era. Now, it seems to me weight loss should be a, a three 
three-legged stool, diet, exercise, but then some kind of um, mental help too because, you know, often I, in, in my experience at least, extremely overweight people have a very serious psychological component um, to that situation. Is, is that an approach that is um, being looked at and encouraged uh, both through the programs run here in Indiana and through your uh, experiences? It, it has to be. I mean, I was so fortunate when I was in uh, at the Medical College of Virginia, when I was working with a surgeon there, I made it very clear to him that when I was working with his gastric bypass program, that I wouldn't work with him unless he did a year of follow-up. And he says, absolutely, Alice, that's built into my program. Mm-hmm. One year of follow-up minimum with all of our patients. And so your better programs, and I know our program here in town is the same way, always puts a follow-up in there. Um, one of the biggest problems, though, is whether insurance will cover it and whether the person can, can handle that. Mm. But there's a lot of great programs out there that do the counseling. I mean, the counseling and the group work make you more accountable, give you the social network, and the social network is so important, especially for those people who are very, very overweight because they don't get that part, too. Um, Dr. Monroe, is that anything, is, is that a, approached at all in the InShape Indiana program? or the Healthy Weight Initiative? Yeah, actually it is. Um, we have, for the Healthy Weight Initiative, we have, uh, you know, stakeholders and experts from all over the state uh, and have divided into different uh, task forces to, to work on that. But the mental health piece, uh, we, we have some of that on our website uh, as well for InShape Indiana for folks to, you know, depression and some of those things. What I'm hearing in this conversation, and I think it's so important as a practicing physician over the years, um, you know, Folks really need to feel that their provider cares about them and respects them and is there and is really there to help them. Um, it, it's really sad to me when I hear that there might be any stigma attached to obesity, especially from the healthcare professionals. And so there's there's that approach too, making sure healthcare professionals are getting the right training and understanding uh, where they need to be sensitive and respectful and, and understand, you know, the, uh, so many, it's, it's complex. Obesity is a complex issue. Um, so absolutely important. All right. 855-0811-877-285-9348 and uh, WFIU.org slash Noon Edition or follow us at Noon Edition on Twitter. Apparently I said Orestes wrong. You did? Orestes. Orestes. Indiana. Okay. okay. That's where we're... Hey, it's outside of Elwood, okay? Where that goal is <laughs> um, the, uh, the mental health effects of, of um, uh, obesity are, are certainly part of the, a major part of the issue, but also there are relationships between obesity and other kinds of health issues like hypertension you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, even cancer, certainly heart issues. Um, can you, uh, again, go back to the whole body mass index, because mm-hmm. that's how you really measure obesity, correct? It's well, of, it's a, oftentimes it's a combination of body mass index and waist circumference. Uh-huh. Um, just body mass index on its own can only tell us a certain amount because if you're a highly muscular person, mm-hmm. you know, many of, many of our like LeBron James would probably con- be considered overweight. Uh-huh. Um, God forbid, yeah, but right. um, based on his waist circumference, he would not be. Mm-hmm. So it would be a combination of the two. One of the indices, or there's two indices that you can use to see if your weight is really increasing too much. One is if your waist has gone up by two inches. That's when you need to, oh, what's going on here? Unless you're in a growth period, like you're a 13-year-old or something like that. And the other is if you're having a 10-pound weight gain. Try to catch yourself at 5 pounds. But when it's 10 pounds, that is definitely a weight gain that needs to be stopped and you need to take take action. Mm -hmm. So yes, body mass index is something that we use, especially for groups of people rather than just for individuals. If you want to track yourself and your body mass index is going up, but it's not associated with any uh, strength training uh, program that you're doing to put muscle mass on, then yes, you probably do need to be aware Mm -hmm. of your weight going up. How, How do you calculate the body mass index? Do you know? It is your weight over your height, uh, squared. So it's your weight in pounds over your height in inches squared. Take it times 703. 
Okay. The, so probably the, the easiest thing is to go to the BMI chart. That's why they've, counted, yeah. they've got the chart showing your, your height, yeah. and, your weight, and then you can see where your body mass is. All right. Well, we won't do any math yeah. here. The, the, <laughs> the best is to go to the CDC's webpage, and especially mm-hmm. if you have children, because mm-hmm. the CDC has the BMI for children, and the children one is based on the weight uh, the, the age of the child. So you really have to do it based on when the child's born. You can't just do a regular BMI on kids. Yeah, and they have calculators, right? I mean, you can, mm-hmm. the CDC yep. site, you can go in and, and put your height and weight, and then it'll calculate for you. Yeah. Now, interestingly, I, I've noticed the last few years I have a sixth grader, and um, they are sending home height and weight information um, on each of the children. So I think that's kind of interesting. Is that a, is that a state program? We have a state program where we ask schools uh, to do height and weight, and local communities have taken this on themselves. Actually, there was legislation this year to try to make it statewide so that we would be getting uh, heights and weights, I think, on third, fifth, and seventh graders, because the data is very important when we're looking at the state and improving the state and what programs, you know, that we can put into place or what policies to make a difference. It's important to have those measurements. That legislation uh, failed this year in in the uh, uh, legislative session. However, uh, across the state, we do have we have certain schools, and I really applaud those schools that have figured out how to how to get the heights and weights on the on the children and do it in a sensitive manner. You know, we don't want that publicized. Keep it keep it private. But I think it's uh, I think it's important for parents to to recognize, uh, especially during those those growth uh, phases where uh, when the children begin to put weight on. Uh, I, I love the ten pounds we were talking about. You mm-hmm. start putting on that extra ten pounds that shouldn't be there. That's that's a, an alarm that should go off. We, we did. Um, my students and I, uh, my senior students in nutrition science and I, did the height weight measurements for the first, third, and sixth grade students here at Monroe County School Corporation, and it was a fantastic experience. They. Loved what they got to do. They got to see, they got to see the difference in attitudes between a first grader and a sixth grader, uh-huh. <laughs> and um, they got to see the, um, especially girls in sixth grade, get some concerns. They saw some concerns, and we saw some very frightened um, young children. We made it very clear. We we showed we kept it very private. We showed, that we told the kids that if you want to tell each other what your weight is, you can, but you're not supposed to ask each other because it's a very private thing. Mm-hmm. And we were able to do up to 90 kids in 90 minutes. That's wow. how fast we were. We were really good. And so we're going to keep it as a routine to do with the school system every year. That's fantastic. So, yeah. So what what are the factors that have driven the obesity rates up so sort of steadily over the last couple of decades? Alice? Well, one could be the the more sedentary lifestyle we live. I mean, 99% of all work is done by machines. Um, when we were doing these BMIs, one of the things that surprised a lot of people was that the number of overweight and obese boys at the very young age was equal to that of girls, which is a change. And that has to do a lot with, what do you think? Video games. Yeah. <laughs> screen, but you know what? You know what? It's not video games. It's called screen time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> screen time. But I, but I think the screen time is actually a result of a different cause, which is fear. I think parents are more afraid to let their children just play outside and run amok like we did. And it may so, also be smaller families. Yeah. You don't have as many kids mm-hmm. to play with as you used to. Mm-hmm. And your yeah. neighborhoods are different and your neighborhoods are more mixed. And mm-hmm. you have people who are living farther apart so you don't have cousins and everybody like mm-hmm. that to play with as you used to also. You're right. That was a gross oversimplification. Yeah. Oh, I do yeah, understand. That's why this is so complex. And then in, in addition to that, the more screen time, you know, safety of neighborhoods, uh, we also had a surge, you know, over the last 30 years, if you look at the sale of sugared beverages, soda, those yeah. kinds of things, that's made a big difference. And, and, then, so many... and then all our fast foods, you know, the high-density, high-energy foods that you can buy a lot of calories, uh, you know, with, with little expense compared to, you know, fruits and vegetables and some of the, the healthier foods that, that may cost more. So mm-hmm. One of the things um, with these sugared beverages we have to remember is, is taste fatigue. If you were only going to drink Coke and all you had was Coke available to you, you'd get tired of drinking it. But the thing is, is you now have, what is it, 
code red Mountain Dew. You have <laughs> multiple varieties of the same thing, which is why there are varieties of the same thing being brought out. So you can have, I mean, gosh, just look at the um, juice drinks that are available out there. You can have, and, and even um, the sport drinks, you can have 25 flavors of the same brand of sport drink and never get taste fatigue because you've got so many varieties of flavors. So you aren't going to get taste fatigue. You and, aren't going to. And in addition, some of those some of those beverages have high caffeine as well. Uh, some of those, mm-hmm. uh, some of the sodas. Um, and so then folks are driven also uh, to, to get their caffeine. So it this is uh, very complicated, uh, what's happened in our society. Uh, we've had a Twitter question. This is a little bit of a non sequitur, but we've had a Twitter, uh, Twitter question come in. Um, Joyce would like us to discuss the connection between obesity and sleep apnea or other sleep disorders. The caffeine might even play into that a little bit. Yeah, well, there's no, there's no question about it. As folks uh, become heavier uh, and you, you, you reach it, and everybody's going to be a little bit different based on their anatomy, but uh, as folks increase their weight, uh, then sleep apnea uh, becomes more, more prevalent. Uh, and, and we know one of the treatments for that is losing weight. Uh, but the problem with sleep apnea is it may go unrecognized uh, if, you don't, if you don't have a partner that, you know, is, is recognizing the fact that you've stopped breathing uh, during the night for periods of time, because what happens with the sleep apnea is that they'll, uh, you'll, you'll stop breathing for a bit, and then, and then when your uh, carbon dioxide gets high enough, you'll, you'll basically you know, start, to, start to breathe again. So, uh, but the problem with that, that over time places damage on the heart mm-hmm. uh, and lungs and can be extremely serious. Um, so it's something that, A, needs to be recognized, but certainly is related to uh, increased weight. I also feel it's important for healthcare professionals, other than the physician, to start interviewing people on that. I had the opportunity to interview someone who um, I started talking about, how do you feel in the morning? And he was saying how tired he was. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you take naps? And he started laughing. He says, the lady next door to me has to close my door because I snore so loud. And that gave me the idea that the sleep apnea was there. So it takes yep. a lot of people and start quizzing people on this. Yep. And taking that history of, yeah, the daytime sleepiness then, you know, because if you're having the sleep apnea, you're not getting your rest either. Mm-hmm. So it may manifest as fatigue the next day. Mm-hmm. All right. We're talking about obesity here today on Noon Edition. We're going to take a short break. Um, our guests are health, State Health Commissioner Dr. Judy Monroe, who's joining us from Indianapolis, and Indiana University Professor in Applied Health Science, Alice Lindemann. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. Listening to Noon Edition on member supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, Smithville Telephone Information at Smithville.net, and from Mother Bear's Pizza at MotherBearsPizza.com. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as movie, play, and opera reviews. Find out more by going to our website, WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting south-central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m. and 5.45 p.m. every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to catch that day's feature. If you miss one, that's okay. They're archived on our website, WFIU.org, and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at 7.45. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and our guest today, State Health Commissioner Dr. Judy Monroe and Indiana University Professor in Applied Health Science, Alice Lindemann. If you want to join us on the program and we encourage your questions, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can uh, email us by using the website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. And also you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. Um, I want to go back to the uh, some of the, the causes of obesity, particularly childhood obesity. When I mentioned to a couple of my colleagues that I was coming here today, one of them was adamant in saying that 
that uh, some of the things going on in the schools today, some of the, the testing uh, requirements have put stress on being able to have recess, being able to have physical education, and that she was uh, determined that that's part of the problem. Dr. Monroe? Well, you know, there are, I, I think earlier in the show we were talking about that, how kids, you know, I know growing up I was out on my bike and out, you know, on the playground all the time. And I think when we, there, there's no question that that children need physical activity. Um, and in our schools, when we're cutting down on the amount of time that they can be physically active in a, whether it's recess or whether it's, uh, you know, in a, in a physical education class, um, that, that does create problems. And it's part of, it's part of this overall uh, mix of, of different things that have happened in our society, I think, that have led to uh, um, led to the, the, the childhood obesity. Um, and we know, we also know that if kids, you know, if they can get out and, and run off some of that energy, they're going to concentrate better in the mm-hmm. classroom. So they're actually going to do better uh, in their in their academics if they get that balance between the physical activity and the mental. Um, so we, we do need to take a hard look at that in our society. Mm-hmm. We also know that if they have the opportunity to go to recess before lunch, that they eat a better lunch <laughs> um, because they get their squirrelies and their crazies out, especially the first and the little kindergartners and first and second graders. If you ever have the opportunity to observe a kindergartner try to eat lunch quickly, it's mm-hmm. just not in their nature. And plus, they're just so busy trying to see their friends and talk to their friends. Um, a, a plate waste study where we observe how much they ate versus how much they left that we did um, in the school system a long, long, long time ago, um, we saw significant plate waste. Um, mm-hmm. And what it was is not the main food. It's the extra foods. And of course, those extra foods are going to be the vegetables and the fruit. If you don't have time, you're not going to eat those extra foods. Mm-hmm. And so if you have enough time to eat and you do have more time, if you get the little talkies and the crazies out of you, mm-hmm. then you're going to do better. Mm-hmm. All right. We have our first phone call today, and it's Bob. Bob? Hi. Go right ahead. In uh, many of the articles that I pick up and read, they seem to bear down hard on the idea that refined sugar and white flour and refined flours contribute a lot to obesity. How how accurate is that? Dr. Monroe? Um, Well, you know, at at the end of the day, it's a matter of how many calories you've taken in. Um, You know, and I've Certainly, I think some studies recently have come out, you know, kind of reemphasizing it's it's how many calories you burn and how many calories you're taking in. So I think the the issue around the and, and there's overall health too. We know that more fiber in our diet is important for health, um, and so when you're eating the refined foods, you're not getting as much fiber, uh, which contributes to, to you know lack of of the best nutrition that that we could have. Um, so. But I don't know that it's all bad, and I guess I'd, you know, turn to our dietician and see what she has to say about that. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. Well, one of the things to think about is those foods tend to empty out of the stomach a little faster mm-hmm. than the foods that are a little bit more complex. And um, therefore, you're going to get hungry faster. And if you get hungry faster, you're going to eat a little bit more. And the food, and they're so darn palatable. The more palatable mm-hmm. food is, the better it tastes, the more you're going to eat. It's called the hedonic value of food. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're all hedonists at heart, so we're going to eat whatever we want. And the more of it we can, the more we're going to like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you add fat onto that, and you've got a good old cookie on your hand. Viva <laughs> la macaroni and cheese. <laughs> and chocolate chip cookies. And you can't cookies. eat just one. That's right. That's, That's right. right. I'm uh, so not trying to make light of the fact that, you know, this is a – he's absolutely right. When you ever you go on a weight reduction diet – those are the two biggies that are always emphasized, and there's good reason because so much of our diet is based on those two foods or those two uh, food components. And if you can single out foods that are high in those two things, then you know you're really doing a good job of turning towards the other foods. Mm-hmm. What about uh, some of the weight loss products that are offered? There's kind of a new generation of things that are supposed to assist you. Ally was one that I believe mm-hmm. was actually approved mm-hmm. by the FDA, if I'm mm-hmm. not misspeaking there. What, what are your thoughts on something like that, and how does that work? Do you know? What it does is it helps absorb about 30% of the fat that you're consuming and not allow you to absorb it then. So it attaches on to about 30% of the fat of that meal that you're consuming, and then um, you expel it with 
other wastes in your mm-hmm. body, let's mm-hmm. say. Um, if you're sensitive, if your gut is sensitive, then you're going to have significant side effects. If you have any kind of a GI health issue, it's not going to be a product for you. I mean, Weight Watchers even endorses it as to add on to theirs. That's how safe it can be. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been on the market in another form at a pharmaceutical level um, called Xenocal for several years, and this is a lower dose of it. So it can help you, but you still, uh, for example, if you were eating a meal that had minimal fat and you ate it, it's only going to reduce the calories by a slight amount. But so, you know, let's say you have a bowl of cereal and skim milk and a glass of juice, it's not a meal to take ally at Mm -hmm. because it's not going to have any effect. It needs to be a meal that you do have some fat in it. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. All right. Mm -hmm. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811-877-285-9348. And you can join us on the website, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition or follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Often you'll see – I know parental obesity can lead to childhood obesity. Are these is, – is this in any way hereditary or is it just learned behavior? It's probably learned behavior, but there, there's no question that children are, are at higher risk of obesity if the parents are obese. Um, and, and so you've got – so it's the environment that the children are in. That's a, that's a large part of it. Um, genetically, folks have – you know, folks – Lots of folks want to come in. I had patients all the time coming in saying, well, you know, it must be my genetics because I'm overweight, so forth. Um, Again, at at the end of the day, it it comes down to how many calories you've consumed versus how much you've expended. Um, And so if you're not as physically active. um, And one thing about obesity that the literature has shown that I find really interesting and I think is important for folks to understand is folks become overweight or obese based on you know, it's that three or 400 calories a day extra. Mm-hmm. So in, in any given day, it's actually not that many. It, you wouldn't think of it as that many calories difference, but it's that cumulative effect so that if every day you're eating three to 400 calories more than you're burning off um, over the course of time, you've gained weight. And, um, and so, you know, when you've got the obese parents, uh, they clearly have built into their uh, habits, the, their eating habits, or their you know, lack of physical activity uh, in, into their into their world, and the children are are living in that environment. Mm-hmm. Way back when, we used to say, if you, if neither parent is obese, you have a seven percent chance of being obese. If one parent is obese, you have a forty percent chance of being obese. If both parents are obese, you have an eighty percent chance of being obese, and you have eighty percent chance of having an obese dog. Oh. <laughs> so that's one way to think about it, a little environment. We tell, we tell our students that it, it, obesity can be about 25, 40, up to 40 percent genetics. But remember, the rest of that is environmental. Therefore, it is under your control. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay? So don't forget the part that is under your control. That's right. So uh, as a, as a uh, nutritionist. It's okay. Yeah. Right. How many I, – I, can you give us some tips? What, what are some of the, some of the things Here's my favorite see? tip. Yes. There's two things that are my favorite tip. Okay. Three actually if you don't mind. One is when you're going back for seconds, you have to have seconds of everything. So it's Thanksgiving and you really want those homemade mashed potatoes. You can't have just homemade mashed potatoes. You have to have seconds of everything and in the same proportion. And therefore, you're having – you make second thoughts as to how much of those homemade mashed potatoes you're going to have. The second thing is that food guide pyramid that most people have learned since third grade and are just so tired of hearing about because they've heard about it so often. Use those concepts of the food groups. And what I tell people is um, <clears throat> if you're going to have a snack, have two food groups together. Hmm. And if you're going to make it a meal, have three food groups together and have one of them be a protein food. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to have – you want pretzels and that's going to be your grain, then have some milk with it or have some fruit with it. Because one of the things – again, I have a, an, a – it has a big thing to do with this hedonic value of food. When you have three things set in front of you, let's say you have some chili, you have some bread, and you have some salad – Okay, Bob, which of those do you like the best? Mm, I'd probably eat the chili. 
Okay. Mary Catherine? I'd eat the bread. Okay. <laughs> you have all three are sitting in front of you. Are you going to eat all of the bread? If I have – yes. <laughs> Bob, are you going to eat all the chili before you eat any of the other oh, food? No, Actually, no, I would do eat, it in no. the salad. I would eat the salad, the salad first, first just because that's yeah. culturally okay. how I'm trained to eat. Okay. So I always eat yeah. a salad first. Okay. Yeah. What we tend to do is we go for the first – the food first that we like the most. Mm-hmm. But as you're eating it, how much you like it, you start to reach the level in which it's not so pleasing anymore mm-hmm. and the other foods become more pleasing. So if you'll notice people – next time you go out to eat with other people, mm-hmm. most people eat in a clock. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you'll eat some of this and some of this and some mm-hmm. of this and some of this. Mm-hmm. So one of the most important things to do is never eat a food alone. Eat mm-hmm. something else with the food because you'll tend to eat less of it. So if you come home at 6 o'clock, you could eat a decent meal. But if you come home at 8 or 9, you're just going to eat that whole bowl of chili and go back mm-hmm. for a second bowl. And then you'll eat the bread right out of the wrapper mm-hmm. and you'll never make a salad. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you will have overeaten. Mm-hmm. So those true. are the biggies. So intermeal timing helps with that. And try to never, ever eat a food alone because you'll overeat the food. Or if you have another food to compete with it, you will eat less of the food. Now, you brought up another interesting point in that comment, which was the time of day that you oh, yeah. eat an evening meal. Um, many of us are for you know pushing back, especially daylight savings is is a little mm-hmm. bit weird for us Hoosiers, and so we're eating. We I find my family is eating our evening meal seven thirty. Yeah, and when it used to be six thirty, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes as late as eight o'clock, which you know before would have been seven o'clock, which. I don't know. It doesn't seem too bad to me. But but anyway, does that have an impact uh, as far as how your body processes the food? Um, is eating that late in the day a bad thing? If you're still going to eat a snack at night, it is. Yeah. If you're still going to eat a snack before you go to bed, then it is. If it's also a very large meal, it can be because then are you going to be eating a breakfast? I mean the thing is you should be eating breakfast. If that late meal – is forcing your family to say, I'm not hungry, I'm not going to eat breakfast, then Mm -hmm. yes, that's not good because breakfast keeps you from getting hungry in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. Lunch keeps you from getting hungry later in the evening. Mm. So those meals are important for your timing later in the day rather than just for that meal then. You understand? Yeah, that's really interesting, though. Mm-hmm. But so, so say that again. Breakfast keeps breakfast you- keeps you from that two, three o'clock binge time when you want to go for that little snackiola machine, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, lunch, having a nice, decent lunch, helps you from those seven or eight o'clock munchies. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd heard it all. I'd learned something. Thanks. <laughs> there you go. All right. We have about uh, 15 minutes left to go, so you can still join us, 855-0811-877-285-9348, slash Noon Edition, and follow us at Noon Edition on Twitter. Uh, Dr. Monroe, I wanted uh, to go back to something you said very early in the program about um, – Attacking obesity as a policy decision because of the impact it has on health care in the state. So could you uh, expand on that a little bit and the reason that, the, the reason that, the, that it's so important for, for your office to be trying to make Hoosiers healthier? Yeah, well, and there are a number of policies that uh, are being looked at or uh, some states and, and cities are starting to adopt different policies. So as an example – um, one one policy, uh, and, and we tried to actually uh, get this through the legislature this year as well, and it, it failed this year. I imagine it will come back. But asking restaurants uh, with uh, 20 or more uh, uh, establishments in the state to have at the point of purchase have the calories – um, so as an example, New York, New York City now, if you go into a Starbucks at New York City or you go into a McDonald's in New York City and you go to buy your Big Mac, you not only see the price, but you see how many calories are in that Big Mac compared to the hamburger or compared to the cheeseburger or you know, the fish sandwich or uh, same thing at Starbucks. Um, what they're predicting in New York City is that, that just having that information for individuals will decrease the number of diabetics. Uh, and will decrease the weight of, of folks in, in New York City. And it's that 
two to three hundred calorie difference again, so that folks mm-hmm. can make that make that choice right then over the course of the day. They're already showing some data that folks are in fact decreasing their calories. You know, three four hundred calories a day just based on that. So that would be an example of a policy uh, that could maybe have some real impact on this. Um, one policy we did pass here in the state that we're real proud of, and we were one of the first states, is uh, breastfeeding. Uh, we haven't talked about that, but breastfeeding uh, is is one of the evidence-based uh, practices that can help decrease uh, childhood obesity. And we have so many working mothers. Um, so last, in, sometime in the last couple of years, we passed legislation here in Indiana requiring employers uh, that have a certain number of employees uh, to make sure that they have not only a, a private place for women to breastfeed, uh, or to pump their pump the breast milk, but also to be able to store the breast milk uh, to be able to take it home to their infant if they're if they're working moms. So those kinds of public policies can go a long ways uh, toward toward helping us out. You know the what you said about uh, about calorie counts at, at fast food restaurants. I I do know some. I mean, if you go to a fast food restaurant, you can eat enormous numbers of calories, or mm-hmm. you can actually make some reasonably smart decisions. If That's if right. you have a hamburger instead of a cheeseburger, or have something without mayonnaise instead, put mustard instead of mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are little things that you can do even at those places. And um, so, having those calorie counts and and what adds those adds. What makes those calories add up would seem to be something to be very valuable. Yeah, and then if you combine that, think about, you know, if we had that at the point of, of purchase, and then you combine that with some good education in the schools so that our young children, you know, early on begin to understand the importance of that and, you know, combine that with your math classes or, or what have you, um, that, that can begin to make some real impact. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Alice, I have a couple of emails that have come in, but quickly I want to ask you, has the percentage of calories that we take in um, via drinking versus eating, has that gone up over time? Well, it has. And and when we look at some of the data, um, I actually uh, did talk talk to legislators about this uh, about three years ago, went in with a big presentation for them. Um, there's, There's also... We've increased the number of calories we take in through these sweetened beverages. But when you look historically, before the onset of of these sweetened beverages, um, what did folks drink? You know, you had milk and you had water. um, Mm -hmm. and And we know that the way we digest and use liquid calories is different than the solid calories. So it gets back, uh, you know, to what we were talking about before with the refined uh, uh, sugars and, and white flour and things. It, it, we know that that triggers appetite differently. Uh, we, we physiologically use those calories differently uh, than, than when you're getting your calories with, with fiber combined with it. And we've seen an increase in diabetes as a result of that. Mm-hmm. We know there's a strong association. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Okay, here's an email that came in. It says, this question follows up on the speaker's point about sedentary occupations. My impression is that obesity is a predictable outcome of the nature of our advanced capitalist economy. Small farmers have been displaced by agribusiness. Manufacturing has been sent overseas where workers and the environment can be abused more easily and so forth. More and more Americans hold down service sector jobs and sedentary white-collar jobs. Fewer and fewer Americans have the time or access to the facilities for regular and interesting exercise because more and more Americans hold more than one job and have little time apart from work and basic family maintenance. Since changing the structure of the economy is almost an impossible task, what might government do, in addition to education, to counter the bad health effects of our country's advanced capitalist economy? Here's a simple question for the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'll take a crack at it. Okay. But, you know, as, again, as we look at public policies or we look at work environments and so forth, uh, those are some of the things that we're beginning to see emerge where, uh, you know, and this this gets expensive, but, you know, in some workplaces, people are starting to do their work on treadmills, uh, you know, where they have the computers uh, uh right there on the treadmill and they just are slowly walking while they're on that. But um, incorporating into the work environment uh, time for physical activity during the day uh, is is crucial, I think. Um, and, and making sure that I, I like the, the fact that they were talking about interesting physical activity because we, we do get bored. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's important as well. Uh, but it's, it's going to take a lot and 
uh, a lot of effort to, to change policies to, to get that physical activity that we need. Okay. Thank you. Is there, is there a, I just want to ask, is, is there a uh, any kind of a state program or even a, a local program to try to, um, I guess, educate businesses and uh, about the advantages of having a healthy workforce and the desire, the need to maybe create programs and allow time during the day for workers to actually get a little exercise? Yeah, there is. Actually, through InShape Indiana, we had one of our, we've done statewide summits uh, for InShape Indiana every year. And a couple of years ago at Purdue University, the summit was focused on the, the workplace. And following that summit, Eli Lilly, along with a number of, of companies, got together and they, I think they meet on a quarterly basis uh, to share successes and to share policies that they've put into place in their workplaces to uh, increase that physical activity and, and have healthier choices in the food line, you know, at their cafeterias mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So there are efforts underway to improve the workplace. Mm-hmm. Here in Bloomington, I know uh, one of the leadership Bloomington uh, Monroe County groups this year did a project focusing on educating employers uh, about helping their employees uh, commute via bike and walking, and they put together a really nice program um, for them to share with their employees, very accessible, kind of asking the questions, you know, um, like, where would I park my bike? What are the best ways to do this? Uh, so I think it's a, there are local uh, efforts along those lines as well. Well, and that's very tight. You know, today was Bike to Work Day. Oh, that's yeah, right. Um, that's right. And, uh, and that's, again, talking about public policy, too. So this is, you know, it's a combined effort around public policy, but having more paths and, and you know, walkable uh, neighborhoods and, and so people, because we do know that people will get more physical activity if they have a destination. If mm-hmm. the, you know, if you're walking to the grocery store uh, versus you know the, that you can only get there by driving, folks will will do more activity. You know, the the farmer. I love this statistic, but the farmer uh, of a couple of generations ago was out just to get their daily work done. They were putting on something like 25 miles a day. Mm-hmm. You know, going back and forth with the fields. Um, we've lost that, and we need to figure out how to build our communities. So the built environment is really important to this. Build our communities to allow people to, to be physically active, going where they would go anywhere, mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, one of, the, one of the things that came out of that group was uh, uh, the suggestion that perhaps some businesses might even want to uh, put in a shower facility for employees. So, you know, that's, that's because that's a real... Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Well, here's another question that came in. Um, and for both of you, it says, uh, what is your opinion about David Kessler's book, The End of Overeating? And either of you familiar with that? I'm not familiar with the book. Sorry. I have not read that. Um, sounds like it might be a good read, though. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, thank you anyway. Yeah, I, I wonder. Thank the you. end of overeating is an interesting title. <laughs> I don't think that's really happened yet. But. Yeah. It's a fantasy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. We just have a, f- a few more minutes to go. And um, I wanted to uh, go back to other tips because I know there are lots of tips for, for getting exercise and for um, for eating fewer calories, and I just wanted you know, each of you to offer some more uh, very, uh, I guess, practical ideas. Wise, practical yeah. ideas for our <laughs> listeners out there. Well, one of the things that I think that's fascinating is that seventy-five percent of the food we eat is the same one hundred foods. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when we talk about childhood obesity, and we talk talk about learned, what what we call learned food behaviors, we all know that about, oh, age 11 or up, you can just forget any kind of parental influence you're having on your child, right? (laughs) 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 It's cemented. So as much as you can, engage your child in the food preparation, engage the child in going out to eat with you, making the choices in the restaurants with you, get them to try these new foods with you, um, get them to be experimental, get them to be having fun. Don't keep doing the same things mm-hmm. over and over again. They'll get in the same rut. If you're in a rut, they'll stay in a rut. And I've seen it. I have seen it over and over again. My kid was just at camp yesterday. The kids had the opportunity to go up to a salad bar. The more adventurous eaters all went to the salad bar, the sheer number of kids who just sat there waiting to get to go for the tacos was significant. Mm-hmm. 
And what they, I saw them put on their salad bar included the garbanzo beans mm-hmm. and the carrots and the sunflower seeds and things like that. And you just knew they were the ones who were the more adventurous eaters at home. And I think that makes a big, big, big difference is to increase the variety. And we have such a great opportunity here. The last thing that I wanted to mention is the big push for victory gardens. Mm-hmm. Why not? It's one of the greatest ways to increase physical activity. I am kind of tired of the focus on sports and the tire and the focus on walking. Why not? I always I've always thought about this is my parents never did any physical activity. They were too busy working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were thin and too busy working. But were they always in the garden? Was my mom picking uh, weeds out of the flower bed was my dad hoeing in the back in the garden. Yes, were we washing cars? Were we mowing lawns? Yes, we were busy working. We were doing things like that, and mm-hmm. I think that the geocaching or going for uh-huh. a hike or being busy to me uh-huh. is another way of being active and, and you're productive at the and, same time. Yeah, yeah, and you're productive and you're social and your mind's being used. Uh-huh. Dr. Monroe? Boy, I agree with those. That's, uh, that's great advice. Um, you know, one of the things, that, just to remind people, uh, when, when going to the grocery and when taking your children, too, uh, you know, going, going on the, the perimeter of the grocery, remember, is where the fruits and vegetables and, and your low-fat dairy and some of those things are, as opposed to the, those center aisles. So uh, to try to try to stay there with shopping and think about creative recipes. I mean, what... what as a child is learning to read, you could uh, engage them in the in the preparation of the food, but but be adventuresome, going out and exploring new recipes that that include uh, fruits and vegetables and the, and the the healthy foods that that we're talking about would be a great thing. Um, I certainly encourage everybody to take the stairs. Um, you know that's that's a simple thing you can do during the day, and you can save you know go green, save electricity instead of using the elevator. Take your stairs uh, whenever possible. So those are some simple things too. All right, and my my suspicion is also that you don't have to do everything at once. If you pick mm-hmm. two or three things that are going to improve you, uh, like not having mayonnaise on the sandwich or taking the stairs instead of uh, taking the elevator, those things are a start, and then you just build from there. That's right. Okay. Just one last thing is one of the features I have on my cell phone is my cell phone counts my steps. And many of you may have that on your cell phone and not even know it. And it's just a fun little thing that I can notice every day. Yeah, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. All right, we're out of time. I want to thank uh, Dr. Judy Monroe from the state, uh, the, our state health commissioner and Indiana University professor in applied health science, Alice Lindemann. Thanks, Alice, for being here. Uh, for Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Ariana Prothero, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet voice and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology, information at smithville.net. And Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering pizzas, pasta dinners, and wings with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com, 332-4495 for delivery.